0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon, and remember. You are love. In Matthew twenty-two is where I wanted us to sit on for today, and. Um, just to, to be encouraged in this text, I was taken to Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And um, I'm, I'm just going to run through verses 1 through 14 as we read it and dialogue on this. And, um, and I don't, maybe at the end we could open it up for a conversation if you guys are cool with that. If you guys want prayer, maybe we could open it up for prayer. But we could, we could um, get some of this out and then um, we'll open it up and, and see where you guys are at with this stuff. But, but I think this is a special passage, I think this is a special teaching, because you're going to recognize, and I'm going to repeat this, you're going to see that it's a parable. And the, the reason why I think this parable is so important, it's because it's not just talking about the present time or even past time, but it's also the future that is to come. Future that is to come even in Israel, but the future that is to come even in eternity. You know, Jesus has a way of giving a parable. And it speaks about a current day and a future day. And not only a current day and a future day, but it also deals with an eternal future day as well. And you're like, how does someone so brilliantly teach a lesson about the kingdom of heaven, but yet as he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven, he's also going to prophesy about things that are going to happen here on Israel. So, so because he's Jesus. And he has the way of doing things like that. He's very clever. He's very wise. And um, he's brilliant in the way he teaches. He teaches a lot by using parables, stories that he's going to draw biblical truths from. A lot of these biblical truths from these parables, he will say in the scriptures say, and he's quoting Old Testament scriptures in a lot of these parables at times. Some of this stuff, listen to this, this is so important. Some of these teachings of parables are going to become doctrinal truths for the apostles as they they write their letters. And they're going to base a lot of their theology that they're going to write, their doctrine that they're going to write, from the parables that Jesus gave them as they were doing life with him. So these parables are essential for the present-day hearer and essential for the future church as they are, as they become doctrines um, into the Christian faith and for the church. Amen? So this one is called the parable of the wedding feast. And we start off in verses, let's read verses 1, 2, and 3. And this is how he starts off. Jesus answers... And and he speaks to them, and he's speaking by parables. And look what he says in verse 2. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. I'll pause there for a moment. So there's a, there's, there's a teaching, there's this parable, there's this lesson that Jesus is giving and what, it, what is the first thing, and you can answer it, guys, feel free to answer. What is he describing? Whatever he's going to talk about right now, he's describing it as what? It's found in verse 2. As the kingdom of? As the kingdom of heaven. So what he's doing here is, I'm going to share with you a story, a parable, a teaching, and it deals with, the kingdom of heaven is like this story that I'm about to give you. And this is what he begins with. And he he, he he And this is not the first time that Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven. You might hear me say something about this again on Sunday um, because it's very important. But it contains, why does Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like? And why does he start his teaching like this? Because what he's about to tell the listener and what he's still telling us today today 2,000 years later, is that what I'm about to tell you contains principles. It contains truths that relate to my kingdom. So whatever you are about to hear now, this is what we live by. This is what the kingdom, this is what eternity, and it's all based off on part of this story right here that you're about to hear. So it's almost like, I want to know what heaven's like. Well, You know what you should study? What the parables are. Because in every single one of the parables, he says the kingdom of heaven is like... So if you want to know what heaven is like, study the parables in which he says the kingdom of heaven is like. Because he's giving you a description of principles and truths of what the kingdom of heaven is like. You guys are are understanding that? So when he says that, we now, the reader, even 2,000 years later, understand, man, I better listen because he's going to tell me what home looks like. If I tell you things like I'm building you a house, man, what is it going to look like? It's a secret, though. You're not going to really know how the rooms look and how big they are, the dimensions, the closet space. You're not going to know about the game room. You're not going to know about the basement or the attic. But, but I'm making you a house. So, so, so think about what that feels like. He's, he's giving us an eternity. Well, what, what is that like? It's like this truth right here. It's like these principles that I'm about to lay out. Very important. And what do we see in the first three verses? He begins to speak about a marriage. There's a certain king, and he's what? He's arranging a marriage for his son. And because he's getting a marriage ready for his son, and he's about to um, perform the wedding ceremony per se, he needs to send out the invitations. And in these days, the servant was going to go out now and start inviting people to the king's son's wedding ceremony. So the servant in verse 3 is sent out to call those who were invited to the wedding. So so there are people that are invited to the wedding. Everyone say invited. Okay, so we see that there's a marriage, and the marriage is, yes, it's, it's referring this passage to a wedding feast. Do you know that this is not the only time that a wedding feast is mentioned in the Bible? A wedding feast, I believe, forgive me if I'm wrong, I want to say it's in Luke, not sure if it's 19, but I know it's in Luke. There's another wedding feast in Luke that he talks about. It's different than this one. But one of my favorite ones is the wedding feast that is found in Revelation 19. I'm going to read it to you real quick. And if you're taking notes, which I hope you are. It's a good study today. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 19. This is a feast in which I pray, right? All of us will be in. All of us will encounter, experience. In Christ, I want us all to know this. Christ will take us into a wedding feast. Do you guys get that? He, We will feast in a ceremony. So when you go to a wedding, ready? What are you going to see? You're going to see the... The bride. You're going to see the, the groom. So it's funny that those are the two things that are mentioned. I mean, you always want to look at the father of the bride's face and the groom's mother. And, you know, there's certain people that are very essential to a wedding. But, but, but you're going to look at the groom. And, and what's beautiful is specifically you're going to look also at the, at the bride. In Revelation 19, it says in verse 6, as John is being shown these visions, these revelations by the angel. We see that it's an angel because we could go back to verse 17. And it's the angel of the Lord said to me and the angel of the Lord is showing me. Look at verse 6. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sounds of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Verse 6, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us, let, let, let's give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. In Revelation 19.6, what is John speaking about by this multitude of people that is saying, hallelujah, for the marriage of the lamb has come? Who is the lamb that's getting married? Jesus Christ. You guys know that. How do we know that? Isaiah prophesies that the lamb of God is coming. Jesus is described as a lamb. Does that get fulfilled in the New Testament? It does. Right before Jesus is about to start his earthly ministry, he walks into the wilderness. John the Baptist is baptizing people. Jesus steps into the scene and and John the Baptist has his followers, his disciples, his students with him. And what does he tell them? Behold the Lamb of God whose shoes I'm not even worthy of unstrapping. What happens to many of his disciples? Look how loyal they are to him. They leave him and they go to be with Jesus because that's what they were supposed to do. I must, what does he teach them always? When he shows up to the scene, I must what? So that he may increase. Okay, this is the part where John decreases. This is the part where he cre- increases. He gave us the right. I'm going to be with him. Many of John's disciples leave him and go to be with Jesus. This is very important. He's, call, he's called the New Yorker came in, and I'm not even New York in there. That was weird. But... He's called the Lamb of God. So there's a feast here. And in verse 6, it says, Hallelujah for the Lord, omnipotent reigns. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice. Give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife, man, this is so important for everything else that I'm about to say today. And his wife has what? Prepared herself. Prepare herself. Anyone reading from the New King James today? Maybe the ESV says it as well. Has made herself. Ready, not sure what other translations say. Prepared herself, has made herself ready. Is everyone understanding that? Have you ever been to a wedding where the bride walks in and you're like, and you've heard me share this probably on a Sunday? Forgive me for being repetitive on this, but we're talking about a wedding feast for a wedding ceremony for a moment. And you're like, ew, she did not even like get dressed up or put on make like ew, like never. It could be the ugliest bride, but she's beautiful on her wedding day. Let's be honest. Because they what? They, a bride on her wedding day, what? Makes herself ready. They do. I mean, Nancy was up, I think, when we got married. It was like 5 in the morning. I'm like, you're crazy. Why would you get up at 5 in the morning? Because I had to do my hair. I had to do my makeup. And then people were coming over at this time. And then the photography, I was like, I kind of overslept on mine. Like, I, uh. this the bride is different. The groom will show up. But the bride prepares herself. Like, Jesus, okay, I'm going back and forth. Forgive me if I lose you guys. But the parable in Matthew 22, the king is God the father. The son who's having a wedding is Jesus, his son. Jesus never has to prepare. He just has to show up. When I do marriage classes with people, I just tell the groom, just show up. I tell the wife, just prepare yourself. Because that's the biblical truth of that. The bride prepares herself. The groom just shows up. And what does he wear? What she picked out for him to wear. That's the truth. Okay, if you're Nancy, that's the truth. Maybe you're not. But what do you want me to wear? All right, I'm wearing it. If my bride's there, I'm, I'm, I'm wear it. The groom doesn't get ready. He appears. Jesus is not like, oh, man, I just, I wish I could show up for her already. He's going to show up. But the moment that he shows up, who will stand on the altar prepared for his showing? That's the essence of what we're talking about here. So Revelation says this, ready? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, his wife has made herself ready, verse 8, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen. This is so important because I'm going to, everything that I'm reading to you right now in Revelation is going to be, listen, word by word spoken to you in Matthew 22. They come together. What is he saying here? Arrayed with fine linen, clean and bright, but this is the most important part. Where are her fine linens found in? Where are her clean and bright clothes found in? It's found in this next part of this verse, okay? This is contextual study. We're studying scripture in its context. Look what he says next here. It says, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, a.k.a. righteousness. The bride's apparel is beautiful, and it looks like righteousness. That, that's what the bride is wearing. So what's, what, what can, who's the designer? Righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know who the designer of the bride is? It is, she is clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus is the designer, and he clothes her with his righteousness. That's powerful. That's what John is seeing. Guys, here it is. You and I, God willing, right? We're it. I believe I'm it. I'm it. I am it. I'm not going to say it for you. I'm not going to speak for you. I'm going to speak for myself. I'm the bride of Christ. And one day I will be in what John saw, Revelation 19, standing before him. And the angels will sing. And the sounds and the thunderings and the announcement will be made. The groom has come. And the bride has prepared herself. And I'm going to be right there saying, here I am, my beloved. What's, what are we going to be dressed as? Okay, very beautiful. So what does John, because John is man catching this vision. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. What do you think John's going to do once he sees all this? And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he, the angel, says to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The angel's like, don't worship me. (laughs) Okay, I'm just, don't worship me. All right, so let's get back into this text here, Matthew 22. The marriage is referring to a wedding feast. Everyone should write that down in their notes, meaning that there is a marriage. Let me explain to you what I mean by there's a marriage. If you study Judaism and you study this culture in these days, Um, There was some form of agreement between the bride and the groom, some form of contract. What you and I would sit down and talk about eventually if we have never done that before or if you will be getting married, it is something called, we're going to start discussing a contract, a.k.a. agreement, a.k.a. pact, a.k.a. covenant. That's what we're going to start talking about. So what do they do? They come and they're going to make a covenant. They're going to make a pact and agreement. Who is the bride and the groom? They come, they make an agreement and a pact. And it's about a year or so. In the Judaism, where uh, the, 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 the fiancé, the groom, better to say, um, leaves her, and about a year later, I'm not saying that they don't see each other within that year, but about a year later, the groom comes back to the bride, and she needs to be prepared. If he comes back to his bride about a year later, she doesn't know exactly the time, she doesn't know exactly the date, she doesn't know exactly all the inf- all the details, but she knows that sometime soon the signs show that he's going to come back for me. And when he appears back to the bride, she is to be presented to him. In Judaism, when she is presented to him, she is to be prepared, presented. There is no way that the groom walks into the house and the girl's like, "Oh my God! I didn't know it's today. I'm not dressed and I'm not ready. I can't. I'm not going to wait for you. My time of waiting is over." That's what I've been doing. You should have been prepared. So in Judaism, they would come back, and she'd present himself to him, and then he would take her with him. And you've heard me teach on this. There was a whole procession that followed. There was flutes being played. There was instruments being played. There were songs being sung, and the party has begun. And as they walked back to the groom's place, um, depending on how much money his family had, that party could last up to seven days, a week long. And um, you could imagine the cost of that. So in this in this situation here, as he brings her back, it's going to be a nighttime wedding procession, and then it's going to go ahead in about a um, a week full of celebration of of this call, so called banquet that would take place. If you were not as fortunate, you weren't you didn't have that much money or whatnot. Maybe it was three days, maybe it was two days. I believe. Um, When Jesus made water into wine, I believe it was one of his family members and I believe there was some sort of money involved in there because when Jesus was there and Mary looks at him, all concerned because it was a family member, Mary looks at Jesus and says they have no more wine. And Jesus is like, what do you want me to do because in Judaism, if you're having a banquet and on the 4th, 4th day, 5th day, 6th day or even on the last day, you ran out of wine, you weren't counting the cost, right? And that's an embarrassment for all of your guests. You weren't prepared in your banquet to offer the right amount of wine. So Jesus is like, fill up those containers over there with water and as you're walking, take it to the to the to the wedding planner and when he tasted the water turns into wine. He says, "How is it that you saved the best wine for last?" meaning it was the end of the banquet could have been the seventh day I believe it was Jesus' relative because why is Mary so concerned if it was just a, a whoever that doesn't really matter in regards to today's study but but what I want you to recognize in this wedding feast some truths that apply in the present day of Jesus and apply in our present day today and as we just read in Revelation in the upcoming kingdom to reign forever with him amen so what happens next here let's go to three and four again it says this he sent on his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come, verse 4 again he sent out other servants why would he send out other servants? because the first servants that gave the invitation, people turned down the invitation, they weren't what? willing, he sends out other servants and as he sends out other servants he says, tell those who are invited, look what he says see I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. The father is excited. The father has prepared a wedding for his son. And there are two invitations in verse 3 and in verse 4 that are sent out. Two invitations. One is the original invitation that is sent out. The second is the time has come. You should all arrive Get to the party. You shall all come. It's a more urgent cry from the father. Did you see that in the text? The first one was like, get everyone. We're ready. The second one was like, no, no, no. Now we're ready. It's now. It's an urgent cry from the father. Tell her, tell them, sorry, to come. So we see this. And verse 4, again, if you read it, um, it says, and I'll re- it says, again, he sent out the servant saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calf, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. What is he doing here? He's, he's calling. He's, the call is sent out. Or, or another word that we could say is the invitation to come to the feast is sent out. Verse 5, very important in this passage. Here it is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill this for a few minutes. Ready? But they made light of it. What does your translation say? Okay, so the guest ignored them and they went their own way. They went their own way. You already know that when someone goes their own way, that's a sign of what? Rejection, disrespect, rebellion. How about selfishness? Okay. What else does your translation say? Pay no attention. So pay no attention. New King James says, they made light of it. And they went their ways. They went their ways, their own way. One to his own farm, another to his business. It says they made light of it in this translation. And they went their ways. They were led. When it says they went their ways, we've learned and we recognize when Isaiah 55 says, each one like sheep have gone astray, led to our own ways. What is Isaiah saying there? Exactly what Jesus is saying here in this parable. When a person is led by their own ways, it means that they are led by their own pride and by their own selfishness. I know God's calling me to do it this way, but I feel like doing it this way. That is called pride and that is called selfishness. Do you you understand that? So that's what's happening right here. How many of you have done that with God? I have. God has shown me my pride and selfishness. It's not. It's not how you want to do it, man. It's how I want to do it. Okay, and we're very humbled in those moments when God has to like hit us over the head. You ever been humbled by God? It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Led by their own pride and selfishness, when it says they went their own ways, what does this mean? Light of it, and they went their ways. They were led by their own pride and selfishness. It means that they did not care about it. It means that they weren't concerned about God's kingdom. It means that they were pre, I like this word, you should write this in your notes. They were preoccupied because I like to use the word preoccupied because I'm only going to talk about the city of Miami, our culture and our community that we live in. I feel like we live in a preoccupied community, preoccupied city, preoccupied people, yeah or no? Is it just me? So here is the call and the invitation, and they don't care. They're preoccupied. The wedding ceremony, listen to what I'm about to tell you because you guys are going to relate to this passage so deeply right now once I say this. The wedding ceremony from the view or from the perspective of a bride or the groom is never, you should write this in your notes, is never taken lightly. Okay, let's go back to the wedding feast. There is a bride and there is a groom. Yes or no? There's an invitation being sent out to the who? To the guest. And they're what? They made light of it. Yes or no? They made light of it. And they all went their own way. So let's not talk about the guest right now. Let's just talk about the bride and the groom on their big day. I have never met a bride and a groom. And I've been privileged to be a groom. And I've been privileged to marry my bride. So... When I say I've never met a bride or a groom, I also put ourselves in that category, me and my wife. But I've never met a bride and a groom on their wedding day to okay, to take that wedding lightly. They never take it lightly. I know that for a fact. You want to know how you start? By asking a bride or a groom if they took their wedding lightly, how much did it cost you? When they tell you the amount of how much it cost, you will recognize they weren't messing around. Whether it for you it was a little bit or a lot, but for them it was a lot. If 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 they could just if, if they could just pay a thousand dollars for the wedding, trust me, for them it cost them. Okay, I've never met a bride and a groom that's like ah, we just we just the day of their ceremony, the day of their I do, it means something for them. I'm not just talking about monetary now. I just use that as an example. But it's never taken lightly. Why? Time is involved in, mer- in, 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 in getting to the ceremony. Yes or no? Time is involved. Every detail is involved. Here's how I could tell you I've been part of it. The colors, the songs, the ornaments, the decorations, the, the centerpieces, the, the dresses, the the. T- the, t- the what the men were going to wear, what the women were going to wear, what the moms were going to wear, the colors, the songs, the outfits, and we could go down the list of every detail. Every invited guest was strategically invited, and who should we invite, and which name should we cross out, and then, we have, and then people get offended, and then you forget, and then it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ordeal. The invited guest situation is an ordeal. The location, the film, the photography, um, the sacrifice that is involved in a ceremony, I'm going to repeat what I just said. I've never met a bride or I've never met a groom together on this wedding day where they take that ceremony lightly. Never have I done it. They, they pretend like they're cool, but on their wedding day, the coolest groom, the coolest groom. On their wedding day, I go to him and I say, because, you know, he showed always that he was cool. Like, ah, bro, I don't, I'm good. I just I want to get it over with. On that wedding day, I'm like, how do you feel? was like, bro, I'm so nervous. <laughs> It hits them because they don't, on that day, they recognize, like, this isn't a joke. I'm not taking this lightly today. And it hits the groom a lot of times on that wedding day. Wow, this is heavy, man. I'm getting married. I've never met a bride and a groom that takes lightly. But as I say that, I want you to understand this, right? I've never met a bride, a groom, that takes their wedding ceremony lightly. But here, in this passage, their invited guests took light of it, and they went their own way. The bride and the groom didn't take it lightly, but the ones who are getting the car to come, they're like, ah, I'm not going to go. I'm going to work that day instead. Why wouldn't you partake in such a special day? Why would you miss out on that? Ah, just I have better things to do than to go be with them. And they take it lightly. Here in this passage, they go their own way. They didn't bother to RSVP. They didn't bother to at least say no. They, 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 I mean, maybe they did here. They were like, yeah, I'm going to go with my business, and I'm going to go do this. Some of them did. They didn't bother to plan. They didn't bother to shop and to dress. They didn't bother to buy gifts. They were just like, who cares? And I started to think about this passage, and and I wrote this down, and I want to just probably read it how I wrote it. I say, may we never take the invitation to feast with God lightly. Because this passage is not just talking to to oh yeah, that's like this... Pe- no, no, this passage is, when you read it in its form and in its fullness, it's, it's talking to us even today. And as I read this passage, the one thing that I can write down is, may I never take the invitation to feast with the Lord lightly, that, that I'm not so preoccupied with the here and now. Listen to that. With the here and now that I lose out on joyful celebrations, feasting with the Father and with Jesus, His Son, who is the groom. May I not... Miss out on the invitation of the Father whispering to me, Come in, from calling you to be bride, because I have a groom that is in position to set you into a place of deep, divine beauty and fellowship and intimacy with you. May I never take that invitation lightly that the Father is calling me in because the Son is there to embrace me. May I never take this passage lightly and may I never walk in this lightly like the other guests did. I'm going to make a point about the guests. Yeah, but the guest is not the bride and the groom. Are you sure about that? Because that's not what I read in Revelation. Okay? You see, I think it, I'm going to... All right, let's just read how I wrote it here. That the invitation to the wedding, remember what we're talking about, the wedding feast, that the invitation to the wedding feast is not to announce to you To marvel at the bride. How many of you know that the bride is, let's be honest, is the most important thing in the wedding? It is. How do I know? When the groom gets there, he says hi to everyone. It stinks. Like He's already there. Everyone already sees him. And he walks up to the front, and it's going to start. But the bride can't show her face. The bride, no one sees her until she walks down the aisle. The bride gets a different song. The groom doesn't even get a song. We know that in biblical, in this thing, we know that the groom is more important because the groom is Jesus. But notice the emphasis that he's giving for his love for the bride. Because he's preparing the bride in his righteousness. But let's get into this for a second. So maybe this call of the father in Matthew 22, the announcement to invite you into this wedding, let's repeat it that the invitation to the wedding feast is not to announce to you to come and marvel at the bride. Maybe that's not the announcement. But that the announcement to the feast is announced for you to marvel because the surprise when you get to the wedding is you are the bride. Did that make sense? Because people are like, now I'm going to go back to my business. No, I'm going to go take care of the kid. No, I'm going to go do this. And what they, did not, what they missed out on, that if they would have took on the invitation, and if they would have prepared themselves, as soon as they walked into the wedding feast, they would have been surprised because everyone's eyes would have been on them because the revelation on that day in Matthew 22 was, I didn't call you over here and look at the bride. The reason why I invited you over here in the first place is to reveal to you that you are the bride. There he is. There's your beloved groom named Jesus. Wow. Okay, Matthew 22 is powerful because you are the bride. So come on, you've been invited to the feast not so that you can witness someone else getting married. Let's be honest, some singles hate weddings because I can't see one more person get married and I'm still single. I feel you and I respect that and I honor that. Matthew 22, God feels you, he honors you and he understands that. So I want you to understand this. You've been invited to the feast, not so that you can witness someone else getting married, but you've been invited because you are the one that is getting married. That's powerful. That's a whole other revelation. Now, that's like a whole Oh, that's what Matthew 22 means. Yeah, it's that truth. This is what the principles and the truth of heaven is. This is not here. Let's keep going on this. Ready? This is not about a journey of someone else's lifestyle entering into a beautiful bliss of intimacy. You've ever been to a wedding, like, oh, look at them. We are all adults here. Tonight they're going to have a good time. Oh, I'm the only one that thinks that. Okay. Sure. Tonight they're going to have a good time. Oh, they're going to be so tired tonight. They're probably just going to pass out. No, they're not they're going to have a good time and then they're going to get on the honeymoon and they're going to have an extra good time. When you're invited to this feast, it's not, about a, it's not about a journey of someone else's lifestyle entering into a beautiful bliss of intimacy and for you to sit back and marvel or sit back and wish, oh, how lucky are they? Are you guys understanding that? But it's an invitation for you to journey into a lifestyle of intimacy for you to marvel and for you to say, oh, how lucky am I? What is God saying? I'm done with you going to weddings and I'm done with you visiting weddings and you being the spectator. It's time that a wedding bells ring and I surprise you because you're ready and you're prepared and you walk in and you're ready to go to deep Fellowship and deep intimacy so that I could marvel you. And you're like, wow, am I so lucky and blessed because of what I'm encountering with beloved. The, the invitation from the father in Matthew 22 is not so that you could be a spectator. The invitation from the father in Matthew 22 is so that you could be a participant and you could be a bride to the groom. It's so that you could have the right apparel and be prepared so that you too could be what? Drunk in intimacy with him. That's what Matthew 22 is about. Ready? Let's go back to the beginning. The kingdom of heaven is like. What's the kingdom of heaven like? Drunken intimacy with Jesus. That's why people say, like, oh, but eventually you're going to get bored in heaven. No, you're not. How do I know? It's drunken intimacy with Jesus. It's just drunk intimacy with Jesus forever. And when I say drunk, I'm not meaning like you're drunk and you're so gone you don't understand. I mean it's an overflow. So it's overflowing intimacy with Jesus. Meaning heaven, eternity, glory, the new Jerusalem, none of that stuff ever becomes boredom. Never becomes, oh, I wish things could change around here. This is powerful for us to understand. It's not an invitation for you to journey to look at someone else's journey. But it's an invitation for you to begin to journey into this lifestyle of intimacy. Come on. Come to the feast is the word. Come to the feast. What does that mean? Be occupied. Be o- Not preoccupied with here and now and this and that, but be occupied with him now. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 and 7 says this. And the rest of seized his servants, remember the invitations being sent out, they treated them spitefully and they killed them, verse 7, but when the king heard about it, he was furious, the father, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. You see, you look at verse 6 and 7, and it could be speaking of Jesus' earthly ministry, it, it could be speaking um, of Israel's response Um, To Jesus' earthly ministry, verse 7 talks about a destruction and burning everything up. If you remember, Israel was, um, forgive me, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. because they continued to defile, they didn't just, Rome came in and just wiped it clean. Okay, that was in 70 A.D. So a lot of this stuff, I mean, only Jesus could um, point this out like this. So it, it could mean any of these things, and it could also mean that our eternal enemies are destroyed forever. Verse 8, 9, 10, 11. Let's just read and get somewhere with all of this. It says here, then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not what? Man, we're not worthy. I'm sorry I couldn't go to your wedding. It doesn't matter. You weren't worthy any, anyways. Can you imagine that? I'm sorry. Imagine those that stand before him and they, I'm sorry, I, I, never, I never went in. That's what that means. I'm sorry that I never went like full in you know i I got preached to my so and so friend was a christian my my blank became one, and they were preaching to me every day. I just never committed and he's like, It's all right, you're never worthy. Is that biblical? Many will come to me on my name and say, Father, Father, they'll say, Lord, Lord, to be exactly uh, precise many things right they did in my in your I did, Not only did I reject you, I did things in your name. I fed the sick. I prayed for people that were demon-possessed. I did stuff for you, Lord. He said, but I never knew you. Because, you see, you did stuff for me, but were you ever on this journey of intimacy with me? Because, you see, you doing stuff for me is not you being lost in intimacy with me. I could do stuff for God, while yet in everything that I do for God, God is not even in it. If you serve God long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've served God long enough, you've been to that place where you've served God and you've probably done an amazing job in serving God and everyone's been wild at you. But you serve God and people have even patted your back, people have even praised you, but you know deep down inside, wow, man, I'm receiving this praise. And the whole time that I'm doing things for God, God is not even present with me. That is, I did, Lord, Lord. Because we can do things for God, but yet God is not even present in anything that we've done for him. We have to be very careful that we recognize that God is not calling us just to give good acts. Okay, God is calling us to give acts of righteousness. It's because of something that happened within us in intimacy that now produces from outside of us in our actions. And what does he do? He measures that and he recognizes it. That that's done through something deeper. All right, so that, that's important to understand that because if not, we become Pharisees. Okay, we become Pharisees rather than something more deeper and more profound. So so what happens here in verses 8, 9, 10, 11? Did I read it out? They're not worthy. Verse 9, therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Look at verse 10, 11. So those servants went out into the highways, and they gathered together all whom they found. Look who they gathered. Both bad and good. Both bad and good. I love that my God is for the good and for the bad. Like, what does he say in the New Testament? I didn't come for those that need, are in need of a physician, but I came for those who are sick, for those who are demon-possessed. And then the religious leaders who thought they had it all were upset because Jesus was eating dinner at a tax collector's house, and they're like, how come they're not eating at our house? Because Jesus says, I didn't come for those who think they're righteous, but I came for the unrighteous to make them righteous. See, this is very powerful. So when we look at this passage right here, it says they went out to the highways and they invited both bad and good. And the, I love this. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Don't ever be discouraged because God is not discouraged. When the wedding day comes, I want you to know, regardless of the people's response, regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of your family, regardless of your friends, don't ever be discouraged because when the wedding feast comes, trust me that the groom will have a feast and it will be slammed full of people. It's going to happen. Now watch what happens here. They found both the good and they found the bad. The bad and the good. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about current day. What is Jesus' ministry coming to establish eventually? I'm coming for both the what? the jews first but eventually i'm also going to come for the what for the gentiles i'm coming for the good and i'm coming for the bad i'm coming for the morally morally evil and the morally good the point that is trying to is trying to make here in matthew 22 is this ready and you should write this in your notes here's the point that all all are in desperate need of the gospel all people are in need of the gospel who's in need of the gospel The good and the bad. The good and the bad. I always use this one as the worst sin. But the pedophile and the one who lied because they took an extra candy and they didn't put it in the weight to pay for it, but they stole it. That's not that bad. That's a good person compared to the pedophile. He came for that one and for that one. The murderer and for that. liar. I don't know. I want you to understand this. For the good of the bad, everyone's in need of the gospel. And what happens here in verses 8 through 11? Some will respond to this invitation, others will not. The initial invitees, I guess that's the right way of saying it, did not respond to his invitation. But the, I don't even know, this is not the second string, right? I feel like this is like the fourth string of invitees finally respond and they come. And the king now, who is God here in reference find something very rare in someone that is invited and attends. Let's read it together because maybe this will make sense. Go to verse, and then we'll, 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 um, uh, we'll call it home from here. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, but when the king came in to see the guest, because the father's going to come. Okay, when the father comes in to see who is going to show themselves to his son. Okay? Look what he says here. He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? How was the man after that question? It says here, he was speechless. He was speechless. He was speechless. There's a man who appears and the king sees him. And the king asked, how did you get in here? He did not understand. This is rare. This is different. A man who does not have wedding garments on, on a wedding ceremony. And what is this represented, um, representing here? What is this showing us here? That this is a man who accepts the king's invitation to the feast, but yet decides to be unprepared in receiving the invitation. That's very important. Because I think that most people are not the first example. Which I say, what was it? The first example was what? They made light of it and they went their own ways. I don't think that's most people. I think most people are these people. Ready? They received the invitation, but yet they did not get dressed appropriately in receiving that invitation and showing up. This man represents a whole dynamic. This is a man who accepts the king's invitation to the feast, but yet was unprepared. This is one who says they are in Christ, but does not put on the righteousness that Christ gives us. Here's notes for you to write down in your notes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, says it just like this. He's talking about you. You, put on. Everyone say put put on. Put on means to put on, to dress up in. Put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on righteousness and holiness. And how, how is righteousness and holiness? Who is it? What's the origin and the creation of it? God is the designer of your righteousness and your holiness that you are to put on. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And have now put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him who created the man who is putting on. So, so we now, the one who was created by the creator, the one who was created, that's me and you, we are to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of the created one. There is righteousness and holiness that is put on. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 22. Sir, how come you're at my wedding feast? My son's about to show up, and how come you're not dressed in the right clothes? This man was un- what? Prepared. He and, and because he was unprepared, it was only fitting for the king in this passage now to declare him, you're unworthy because you come unprepared. So, so the eternal dangers of being preoccupied and unprepared to, to live your life making light of it, As if you don't care, the outcome is never in the scripture a positive or a promising one, but it's always one of judgment. It's always one of judgment. So he's calling us to come to the feast. You're invited, be prepared, marvel in the intimacy that the groom has in store for you. But this man is similar to the Israelites of Jesus' day. And this man is also similar to many Christians who claim to be God's sons, God's people, but yet in claiming to be the people of God, they what? They disobey him with their life. I am God's son, but yet we don't obey him. That is the man that shows up, but yet doesn't dress up. I am one of God's ones, but yet don't ask me to obey God. No, you're just one that's invited to the feast, but yet doesn't put on the holiness and the righteousness of God. You too will be looked at as unworthy. So it's not good enough just to come to a place where the people of God gather, but it's not only to come to the place of the invitation of where the people of God gather, but it's to what? It's to become one of them by putting on the holiness and the righteousness that God offers. If not... You're a number in a crowd that on judgment day says you're unworthy. This is very important in Matthew 22. He's declaring something bigger. The man is similar to the Israelites of Jesus' day, but we're the Jewish people. What do the Jewish people tell Jesus? We're the sons. You, nothing makes you more the son of Abraham than it makes us the son of Abraham. Jesus had to rebuke them. When the Jewish people, if this is over your head, I'm sorry. But when the Jewish people said to them, who do you think you are? You're no, you're no moral son of Abraham than we are. You know what Jesus said? Actually, let me set this straight. Abraham saw my day and marveled. They got a rocks ready to stone him. Because what he, how dare you say that when you're not even 50 years old? Because what Jesus was saying was, I believe the Old Testament, one of those three guys that showed up from heaven, it says that they left, but one of them stayed, and Abraham spoke to God. I believe that one of those in the Old Testament that stayed to speak to Abraham was actually Jesus in the Old Testament. I also believe that when Jesus, let's say, okay, but I don't believe that cool, don't believe it, it's fine, those are debatable things. I believe that when Abraham died, he went into glory, and guess who he saw? He saw Jesus. So whichever one you want to say Jesus meant, he saw me on my day, and he marveled. What did did all the Jewish people do? They couldn't say anything, because Jesus was setting this straight. It's not just good to say you're one of my sons, you have to put on righteousness and holiness. Now you're just like that man. What is Jesus really um, emphasizing? What is Matthew chapter twenty-two in this parable really highlighting? You're just—or not you. I'm not, when I say you just, I'm not picking on you guys. You're hitting you over the head at all. I'm talking about these people. When I say you just, these people are just imposters. What the Bible would consider frauds. What they would call the individuals who are deceiving others by declaring they're something, but yet their life is not in obedience to that in which they declare. If you declare you are someone, but your life is not in obedience to that in which you declare, all you are is living a life of fraud. You're claiming to be someone you're not. Yes or no? That's the definition of fraud. The other day, can I, I'll give you a side joke just because we're leaving and we're done. My wife gets a phone call. And it's the same number that's calling me and it's calling her. And they're driving us crazy. It's Christmas time. It's holidays. There's frauds everywhere. So she's like, who is this number? I say, it's the same number calling me. It's nothing. don't do it. And oh, but I, wonder who. I go, pick it up. You'll see what I'm talking about. So my wife picks it up, and I'm right in front of her in the kitchen. So she picks it up, and this is how the conversation goes. Ready? She goes, hello, how are you doing? Yes, this is it. I guess, right? Yes, this is Nancy. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm looking. I'm like, hang up. It's a fraud. Hang up. They're going to steal your money. And I see that she's already like, she's lighting up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay, she goes, No, I'll pay for it now. I said, Hang up the phone right now. And she was about to give him the card number. No, I'll pay for it right now. I grabbed the phone. I go, I pick. This is a true story. Father, on my line. I grabbed the phone from her and I said, Are you crazy, Nancy? They're going to steal your money. And I said, Hello, who's this? Yeah, we're. She, oh, what I'm doing And She goes, No, Rigo, it's true. I listen to Nancy, right? <laughs> this is awesome. I owe AT&T, I owe an AT&T bill, it's true, They're, I go, they have your records, yeah, everyone does, they they know that you owe an AT&T record, that's, I mean, an AT&T bill, that's normal, that's fine, like, someone knows that I have a mortgage payment to make next month, and someone knows I have a, like, it's normal, they know that, I said, this is not your AT&T, you don't pay unless it's really AT&T calling, you hang up and you call a 1-800 number, and you talk to a representative from AT&T, if you're ever going to really pay them, When you never call a second company, and you never re. And she was like, oh, I figured it was real real. And I grabbed the phone. This is a conversation while the guys on the phone So I said, yes, hello, who are you? No, while I'm taking the phone, she goes, hold on, my husband wants to talk to you because he thinks you're a fraud. (laughs) I grabbed the phone from her and I said, hello, sir, who are you? He goes, yeah, uh, uh, I'm from, and he was trying to say the company. uh, And I said, you're a fraud. That's what you are. Later, and I hung up on him. This is a true story. I looked at my wife and I said, please don't ever pay a bill without letting me know first. Please. It is someone who is claiming to be something to receive from what they're claiming to be. They want to receive something from it. But in reality, when you look deep into their lives, you'll recognize that they are not that in which they claim to be. So they're not worthy of receiving that blessing in which they're called to receive by truly being the person who they say they're called to be. You can't have something when you're not truly someone. Are you guys understanding me? So the father walks up to the guy and says, how'd you get here? He said, well, I got the invitation. Cool. Did you know I went to everyone in the highway? Have you ever seen that movie um, Sing? The cartoon? When he sends out the invitation and hits the fan and everyone catches it And the next day, hundreds of thousands of animals are ready to perform for him. That's what God did. He sent the invitation. Did you know that it flew out of the office and everyone got it? But the problem is, it's not whether you got it or not. The problem was, you showed up unprepared. I don't have a problem with you coming. I have a problem with you coming, thinking you still deserve something, while yet being unprepared. The father says, I don't play that game. I've given you many chances Many invitations, many servants came knocking at your door to prepare you for this beautiful day that I've given you. And you still want to receive it without walking one day of obedience? Sorry. I hope that catches your attention. They're imposters, there are frauds. The church is full of them. The Bible says that in the sheepfold, there are many wolves in sheep's clothing. They come with, ah, but when you take down the zipper, they have teeth and they're ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. Scripture says that. Scripture says that the enemy disguises himself as an angel of light. So there are imposters, there are frauds, they're deceiving others. And what happens, verse 13 and 14, and we're done. And the king says to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, Cast him into the outer darkness and there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. That's a great description that has been used more than once in the New Testament. For many are called, but few are chosen. The verse we talk about. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, many are invited. All Israel, listen to what I'm about to tell you, had been invited when Jesus comes but only a few would accept Jesus and follow Jesus. Many Christians, many people are called into, sorry, not Christians, many people are called into this family of Christ, but yet only a few will actually come and follow. So I want to end with this thought one more time. Ready? Let's not just be invited. Amen? Let's not just be invited, but let's respond to the invitation. How do we respond to the invitation? You're what? You should know this. Don't make me preach the whole thing again. How do yes, how do you respond to the invitation that God's given us? I am dressed in the right apparel. I am prepared before beloved. Come to the feast. Here it is: invited, but not just invited, prepared and marveling in the intimacy that the groom has in store for you for the rest of your life as being his beloved. Come to the feast. Get dressed up. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. What a beautiful passage Matthew 22 is. Um, I hope it's challenging to you because I read that, and guess what? It's extremely challenging for me because I start to evaluate my life and say, who am I in this story? <laughs> who am I in this story? Who do I smell like, taste like, feel like? Very important. <clears throat> I don't want to be a fraud. How many times have you heard me say my greatest fear Is not for you to say I'm a faker. Many people have spoken bad about me, and that's never going to end. My greatest fear is that my son and my daughter speak bad about me. That's my greatest fear. You could speak bad about me, but my greatest fear is that my son says he's not who he says he is. That my daughter says he's not who he says he is. I, on that day, become an imposter and become a fraud because I do this well, but I do that bad. I'm an imposter. I'm a fraud. Amen?